All right, hello and welcome to episode number 22 of Long Ball Football, a weekly podcast about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and I'm delighted to be once again joined by my brother after a brief hiatus. Uh, but Barney's back with us. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? I had a yeah, great week, man. Um, me and my wife had our first kid. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's, been, it's been amazing. People are already referring to it as the long ball football baby. <laughs> I know everyone's asking me what kit I'm going to get it. Um, but, <laughs> well, it's good to be back, man. And a, a great week to come back as well. Lots of great football. Definitely, of course. And the return of UMP and football, which is something that we, we've all been looking forward to. I mean, I was thinking about this during the week because before we start talking about the game, it's just about how nice the European football is for us to talk about because uh, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but obviously when we talk about like Premier League of fixtures, we, we obviously have to do it from quite an unbiased point of view. Like we can't really show favouritism towards any one teams, but when it comes to European football, like we can just get all in behind any Portuguese team, you know, and we can experience the game from a fan's point of view for a moment, you know, in that, game when for example you know when Porto are playing Juventus for those two hours I'm a Porto fan you know and then when Benfica play Arsenal for them two hours I'm, I'm a Benfica fan again and you know that's obviously why we do this podcast because we love football and, and we love the experience of of being a football fan so I, I've really enjoyed just being able to get behind those teams and kind of unashamedly support them yeah that's exactly right like though we do like have a slight little favourites within the league you know we don't like you say we try to be unbiased <laughs> as, as much as possible but yeah, it was, it was a good showing from all, well, we'll get into it, but a fairly decent show for most teams. Well, let's get into it right now. I mean, the first game to start with, obviously, will be Juventus versus Porto. A fantastic 2-1 win for Porto. I was buzzing during this game. Really enjoyable to watch, especially because they were really big underdogs going into the game. I did say before, though, Barney, I had a feeling Constasau was going to do a job over Perlo. I said that specifically because I just had a feeling that he would outmanage his counterpart. And it's exactly what happened, man. Two goals, one early in each half. They were very unlucky to concede in the end. So difficult result to take in some sense, but on the whole, fantastic performance. I always felt like they did, didn't deserve to concede that goal, did they? I was, they were so solid all game. As you mentioned, conscious out, I thought it was a brilliant, um, some, just some brilliant decisions the way they played. I think uh, Perlo even referred to them as a sort of, like playing against Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid, you know, and it definitely was that. I mean, the the intensity was phenomenal. The the work ethic for all those players, and also not only that, but like the quickness of their play as well. They were they were really trying to rush Juventus, um, cause them problems. Yeah, I was just so impressed, so so impressed. But but we have seen it already this season in the Champions League that we know Conchacao can rally his players together for big games. I mean, they played so well, man. Honestly, they 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 were fantastic, and I know a lot of Porto fans have their reservations about Consasau because you know especially given their position in the league at the moment they're, they're quite far behind first place but you have to give it to him the way as you say the way he's got them through this Champions League campaign so far has been fantastic let's not forget they only lost one game in that Champions League group and that was a way to Man City it's fair enough really and he set them up so well in this game perfect start to the game with that early goal uh, put Juventus on the back foot right away I was so happy to see that first goal go in and this is a bit of a a bit of a sore issue for me. I'm going to go on a bit of a run about this because it just kind of shut everyone up, right? And by that, I mean, not just the Juventus team uh, who seemed really rattled by that first goal, but also the, like the pundits. In, we were watching the game on BT Sport, obviously, and uh, I'm not trying to make this personal. I don't expect, because, you know, who did they have in the studio for this game? BT Sport had Gary Lineker, uh, Joe Cole, Owen Hargreaves, Rio Ferdinand in the studio, right? And um, Darren Fletcher and Robbie Savage doing the commentary. So I don't expect 
any of them to know about Porto really. You know, why would they? They don't watch Portuguese football week in, week out. But why didn't they get someone on who did? Because it's not like this was one of those days where there's 16 Champions League fixtures all on one day and Porto is just an afterthought. There were two games on on that day and BT chose it as their big game. They had all the big names in the studio and they were all clueless. Like it was totally embarrassing to be honest. No one had anything to say about Porto. I think Joe Cole at one point just sort of said, oh, I think uh, I think Porto rely a lot on their fans in the stadium. It's just like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know I mean? And I'm not trying to make this, like I said, I'm not trying to make it personal. I don't expect Joe Cole to know about Porto, right? Like I said, I just wish they'd got someone on who did because they played so well and it was quite disheartening to hear it kind of, the game kind of framed as, you know, Juventus are doing badly rather than uh, Porto doing really well, which is exactly what they did. They executed that game plan to perfection. Yeah, I think Juventus' first shot came in the 40th minute, um, which is pretty... I mean, Ronaldo barely had, like, you know, had, I can't remember a decent chance he had or, like, much involvement in the game at all, to be fair. There's that beautiful video of uh, Manifar just pickpotting him when he's done a few stepovers, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I thought about was you've got players like Sanusi, and they talked about in the when the group stage about when he played that brilliant game against um, Man City. Where was he a couple of seasons ago? This is the biggest stage he's ever played on up against some... I mean, Juventus' squad is still ridiculous. You know, forget about Ronaldo. They've got some brilliant players in there. Even Taremi, who got the first goal, you know, this is the this is probably the biggest game of his career. They're decent players. I don't want that to sound patronising, but the goal from Cars, you, you cannot forget. I mean, we know Porto are decent. We know they did decent in Champions League this, this season, but still, the goal from Cars from those squads is, is still f- phenomenal. I also thought, um, I don't know what you think, I, I, I thought Marcheson had a fantastic game for me as well. I thought uh, I was really, really impressed with him. The way Juventus were pressing themselves, he had to play with his feet a lot and I feel like he was quite confident the ball made the right decisions, you know, when he when he had nothing on, he went long. Uh, he, he also came out and collected the ball from crosses a lot, which was, it was so important for them, like being solid defensively. I thought he had a really good game. Yeah, I mean, we talk about um, Antonio Adan for Sporting being one of the keepers of the season so far, but Marcheson as well quite quietly goes under the radar as a great keeper and it's so important for any team trying to win championships and to try to progress in the Champions League to have confidence in their keeper and you can see that uh, they really do really do have confidence in the keeper obviously though they did concede a late goal it was quite a bit of a sucker punch you know because they had opportunities to even get a third right they controlled the game for such a long time you know it almost feels harsh to say this now but it's it's a credit to them that we're saying that they should have held on for a 2-0 win against Juventus and possibly even got a third. Uh, it just does bring me on to think, though, Barney, for the second leg, what do you think Porto's tactic has to be? Do they sit back, try and grind out a 0-0, try and limit Juventus as much as they can, or do they go out and try and get a result? Because for me, I'm inclined to think that holding on is going to be dangerous. I mean, no matter what, no matter how bad Juventus have been playing, they still have, like you said, they've got that firepower to get, to get a goal in the second leg. But if Porto can get themselves an away goal, they put themselves in a really great position. They've got to do that. They've got to do that. I mean, uh, like you said, the away goal completely changes the tie now. I think I think they have the resources. If, if, if it was a 2-0, if it ended 2-0, they could have gone to Juventus and they could have ground out like a 0 I can see them doing that, but that away goal does put that pressure on. Yeah, it's hard to say, man. I, I, I wouldn't want to bet on it. I wouldn't want to bet on it. Well, if I was a betting man, I would put, I would put money on Porto to win the tie and... Uh, 
Perlo to get sacked afterwards. <laughs> I mean, we oh. don't usually sack we don't usually sack managers on this podcast, but he's not a Portuguese manager, so I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> quick now before we move on, just a quick one. Do you think that was a penalty for an out at the end of the game? Um, I did until I watched actually, and I've just slagged off BT, but I will credit the analysis on this one because I did think it was a pen until they got the consultant ref in, and he sort of said. Uh, the reason it wasn't given as a pen was because Ronaldo was already falling before the contact yeah. with Manifar. So, I mean, to me, that makes sense. My instinct at the time was they got lucky there. I thought it could have been a pen, but uh, based on that, yeah, I'm happy to happy to agree with the decision. Yeah, I completely agree. I think too often we see it the other way around where they give them and the players already on their way down. So, no, I thought it was a good shout. Well, it was a very different story for Benfica, Barney, obviously, to drop down into the Europa League. Uh, they got a 1-1 draw in the first leg of their tie against Arsenal. But the fact of the matter is, and I'm going to be blunt here, they were lucky not to lose 3 or even 4-1. They had a really lucky penalty. That's just my opinion. I thought it was very lucky. And the only reason they didn't lose was because Arsenal were so dreadfully wasteful in this game. I couldn't believe some of the chances that they were spurning. So I feel like this tie is a bit interesting. I, just, I can't understand how the away goal rule is coming into effect in these two games. It's absolutely madness. I think Arsenal are in the better position going into next week because of this away goal. And yeah, later I'm going to talk about how I think Benfica are struggling to... Because yeah, Benfica are struggling to score goals, aren't they? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And We'll come on to that a lot, that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I mean. This, this away goal that Arsenal have got and they're not even playing home away. It's just, I don't know. I, I feel that's un- unfair on... It's unfair on both teams, obviously, but now with this result, it's, I feel like it's unfair on Benfica. I said before the game that this whole away goal situation, and let's be clear, it is ridiculous. I don't know who's in charge of making that decision, but absolutely ridiculous decision to allow away, away goals to stand. I said before the game, I think it's going to be controversial for someone. The fact that the game was so tight, I think makes it even more controversial, but I maintain what I said that Arsenal deserve to win the game anyway. It's an interesting one, Barney. I know we're trying to do an informative podcast here, but I just don't, I just, I just don't know what to say about Benfica. Like what, what can you say? They cannot score goals. It's a huge problem. No one on that team looks like scoring except maybe Seferic. The players are shot for confidence. I can't see where that change they're desperately going to need is going to come from. I think we'll save some of this chat, though, Barney, because we're going to talk about yeah. their nil-nil draw with Ferenz. But can you see any positives from this game, Barney? Well, I was interested in uh, Verissimo's debut. Um, I was quite excited to see him play, and also that formation that um, uh, the three at the back. And I think that I feel like this could be good for them in the league as well. I mean, do you think it's a negative move going to that formation rather than sticking with their four four two? I think three at the back doesn't have to be negative. If depends how you frame it. You know, is it five at the back or if it's three at the back? Five at the back, uh, like how we saw Porto play against Manchester City in the group stage. That's a negative formation. Three at the back with your fullbacks essentially playing as uh, wide midfielders. Yeah, like you said, I think that's a very that can be a very positive move. They're crying out for something different. They're crying out for some inspiration from somewhere. They didn't get it in this game. And just to look ahead to the next fixture, Barney, I'm not sure where they're going to get it from for their next fixture. It's technically Arsenal's home leg. Not that that will make much of a difference other than the away goals rule, but uh, I can't see. Sadly, I can't see anything other than. Arsenal putting this tie to bed. On paper at the beginning of the season, you would have thought that this would be a closer tie. You know, Arsenal have had their problems this season. We know about that. You've essentially got like one of the best teams in Portugal against a team in England who are now not at that same height in their own league. And But like you said, Arsenal, Arsenal should have won this by more. Well, we'll move on to Braga then. The last of the three Portuguese teams still in Europe and a very difficult day for them against Roma. They lost 2-0. And while I did have them down as underdogs as well, it was still a bit of a disappointment how they didn't get into the game and really show what they can do. 
It was a bit of dis- a bit of a disappointing performance. I thought I had a few questions about the lineup in this one. I was a bit surprised Spora seems to be preferred to Abouris. You've seen very little from him all season when he was at Sporting, and then you know, Abouris was on a little run of form, had a few good games, and suddenly Spora's and starting ahead of him. The other one as well for me was I don't know if you agree on this. Gaetan and Ricardo Horta both starting. I perhaps would have kept one of them on the bench to you know change things up in the Porter game when Gaetan came on. He was um, you know changed the game a bit. But then I also guess that's why they brought Gaetan in, is that experience on Euro- European football. Yeah, well, you make a lot of interesting points there, Barney. I think when you talk about Sporar and Abel Ruiz and who should play there, I think I've got a feeling that while neither of them have the same quality as Paulinho, I think Carlos Carviel goes for Sporar perhaps because he offers you a slightly similar role to Paulinho in that he gives a lot to the team. He's quite a selfless striker. Maybe we didn't see most of that in the game against Roma, actually, in the week when they uh, when they beat Tondela 4-0. I thought we saw that in his performance where he was very selfless. He, even you know when he's looking for his first Braga goal, he's still looking to set up his, set up his opponents in a similar way that Paulinho does. So I think maybe he looks for that. Abel Ruiz, again, he's grown on me uh, more and more in recent weeks, but I think... He's a very different player to what Paulinho was. I think he's a, a more of a poacher, maybe, maybe that kind of fox in the box character that that you get sometimes. More of a selfish striker, someone who needs uh, supplying a lot more than someone like Paulinho does. So I think that's the kind of that's what Carlos Cavalier is weighing up, uh, to my mind. When you look towards the second leg, Barney as well, they'll be without Esgaio, uh, who of course got a second yellow card. That can be important to them. It could be a bit of a mountain to climb coming back from two goals down. Uh, especially as both of those are away goals. But look, the one silver lining, the pressure's off. They can go out and they can play with nothing to lose. And who knows? Look, they've got great confidence from that 4-0 win over Tondela. Maybe they'll just be playing with a lot more freedom and that'll be, that will allow them to play their best football. Yeah, I hope so. I think Rebel will score in this. Yeah, once again, this is a, another example of, you know, a golf in class and squads. I mean, Braga have been brilliant in Europe this season, but it's, it, we shouldn't forget that they're nowhere near the same level as Roma. But yeah, like I said, I, I just see I see Roma scoring and I think that's going to be too much for Braga to turn it around. Well, we look forward to those games coming up this week. Porto in the Champions League, Benfica and Braga in the Europa League. And we'll see this time next week who's still competing in European football. <laughs> Well, we start our Premier League chat, Barney, with a big game from this week. This was my shout for game of the week last week. Passos de Ferreira versus Vittoria Guimaraes. A big game for those two teams chasing down those European places. Vittoria really needed a win off some disappointing draws in recent games. They went ahead 1-0 early on through Oscar Estupinan, but Passos, who've been so good this season, pulled it back, took all three points. And for you, Barney, how important is this result to Passos and how detrimental could this result be to Vittoria's season? It's big. I think if if, if Torre had come away with a win in this game, that could have been the kickstart they need to sort of push on and start bringing out some um, better performances. But to go the other way, I just feel that they're on a pretty poor run now, Victoria. So benefits pass us. I think they're just going to grow even more with confidence. Um, Victoria just really disappointed me in this. And I, think, I felt like Passos just did a, a regular performance, what they've been doing a lot recently. Yeah, I think it's quite funny because when we talk about this game, we often try and come up with some like narrative reasoning around why a team wins or loses. But when I watched this game, I just thought the better team won. It was really as simple as that. And I think the problem with Vittoria is that the team at the moment is chopping and changing so much each week. We see different lineup every week. This week, Koresma was on the bench. We've seen Marcus Edwards have spells on the bench. I don't think, other than Oscar Stupinan, 
that Joao Henriquez really knows his best attacking team selection. And it's really shown in recent in recent weeks with them struggling to, to create and take chances. I mean, you contrast that with Passos, where Pepper is picking largely the same team week in, week out. They play largely the same football week in, week out, and they're reaping the benefits at the moment. The players are confident, they're clear in their objectives and their roles, and they know what's being asked of them. I think in that Pretoria team, the players are probably wondering what they've got to do to stay in the starting lineup, you know, and, and they're just not quite playing in that free-flowing, confident way that a team like Plasos or even a team like Braga are at this stage. Yeah, I had the exact same point, man. I think, like, you look at the, the best teams in the league this season, you've got Sporting Lisbon and you've got Porto, um, and I'm going to include Passos in that as well, but, and all three of those teams have the same thing. You could basically name their starting 11 week in, week out, maybe one or two changes. And then, like you said, like you mentioned, um, Vittoria, I think even in that midfield as well, the rotation in that midfield is unsettling. Um, I couldn't understand why Andre Almeida had been left out. He, he's been one of the best players in recent weeks. I mean, to keep heaping praise on Passos, when they do make a change for, with uh, Jao Pedro coming in for Douglas Tank, he did well, did really well, I thought. I think, interesting, he actually signed from for Victoria Garage in the summer, which I didn't know. But yeah, you know, beginning of the season, we saw Dor Jan, the Israeli striker, coming in um, for Douglas Tank. And so, you know, Jao Pedro has done well to get his head down work his way into this team. His goal was fantastic. Absolute bit of um, bit of genius for that. If we look at Vittoria's defence, however, which has been the problem of weeks, you know, they've had a... They keep going through phases where they get maybe two or three games in a row where they don't concede. And this, But this run, I think they've conceded eight in their last four. And I actually worked out, you know, we're, we're a big fan of Issa Suleiman and he hasn't been in the back line recently. And I, I worked out my own statistic on this where when he's in the team, they concede on average 0.85 goals per game. Um, when they're without him, they can see 0.92 goals per game. And that's not much of a difference. But then if you isolate and take away uh, results against the big three, which you could say they're Vittorio Grimaldi expected to lose, um, and in that there's a 4-0 loss to Porto, 3-2 uh, loss to Sporting. Um, if you take those away, suddenly Issa Suleiman in the team, they're only conceding 0.33 goals a game. I think that's an important statistic because, like I said, they're not expecting to get points off the big, the big teams. It's those teams in and around them and below them that the results is where they really need to get their points and and when he's in that team there seems to be more solid against those teams well it's, it, Issa's an interesting character really because we obviously are big fans of Issa's here with this podcast we're big, we're big fans of all the uh, English lads playing for Victoria but I think when you watch him play it's difficult because it's hard for a centre-back to shine in a team you know when a striker does their job and scores goals every game they make headlines every week, but when a centre-back does their job every week and just has a solid performance and, defend, and defends well, it's quite hard to spot sometimes. So I feel like it's difficult for a player like Issa to stand out. He's not a very flashy character. He seems to work hard, play well. He seems very solid. And, you know, that statistic that you just read out suggests that he is having a positive impact on that team when he plays. I mean, when you look at how Victoria's season has, has gone so far, it's not been up to scratch. And it could be about to get worse as well, Barney. I sent you these fixtures during the week, but this is Victoria's next four fixtures in the Premier League. They're at home to Boa Vista next. Boa Vista who are really turning a corner in terms of their form. Then they're away against Braga. I'm really not sure what their chances in that fixture will be. At home to Gil Vicente. Gil Vicente got a good win this season, but you'd expect them to win that game. And then they're away against Sporting at the top of the table. So, you know, you wonder where that catalyst for change this season is going to come from because they're coming up, they've got a run of tucked fixtures coming up. The manager doesn't seem to know his best team at the moment. So nothing's quite adding up for them at the moment. 
No, not at all. You flip it again and look at passes for air. Um, like I mentioned before, the consistency of the squad, you know, they're so organised. Um, they controlled this game as well for me. And they did, like, importantly, they didn't let their heads down go down when they conceded the first goal. And we shouldn't forget that they finished 13th last season, you know, having been promoted the season before. So there's been a rapid rise. They haven't had as long in this league to perhaps fund better players coming in, you know, and when you look at the squads on paper compared to Vittoria's, it is vastly different in terms of the, the big names at Vittoria, the quality that have been in this league for a while. And then you've got Passos Ferrer, who just almost every single player in that team is outperforming what you'd expect them to be doing. I mean, it's interesting what Barney, because we, we praise Passos a lot and we talk about how well they're going to do and how they're most likely going to qualify for Europe. But when we talk about that, we're talking about hopefully the Europa League and possibly the UEFA Conference League. But Porto are playing tonight, okay? If they win... That will put Braga in third place on 43 points and Passos to Ferreira will be on 38 points, having played the same games. They're five points away from third place. They're five points away from qualifying for the Champions League this season. And the way they're playing as one of the standout teams this season, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Not at all. And then when you look at Benfica, we're going to talk about in a second, and the way they're sort of performing, and they could be looking at them. They could quite be looking at Benfica's that that scalp and yeah I, I'm all for it and I, I, I mean if I was a passers yeah. player in that changing room right now I would be looking at Benfica and I'd be saying I fancy them we're going to fucking have them this season honestly well we've uh, we've teased it too much Barney let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about Benfica they drew nil-nil last night with Ferenz and uh, there was a lot of hype around this game as well Barney you know Ryan Gould is building and building uh, his profile and his hype from Scottish football fans it was on free sports in the UK as well so there was a lot of eyes on this game and of course, it was Ryan and the Friends team who did themselves very proud. Uh, they ground out that nil-nil result. We're going to have a bit of a rant about Benfica in just a second. So first, a few words on Friends, I think, are appropriate. I'll come to you and your thoughts in just a second, Barney. I just want to quickly say a couple of things. Ryan Gould, awarded man of the match, and rightly so, deservedly so in this game. But it is really heartening uh, to see some other Friends players uh, stepping up and putting in good performances. I think we've seen too many times this season Ryan really carrying that team by himself. This game, however, I thought players like Bora at right back, Amin, Luca, Rafael Defendi, the goalkeeper, and Lika, while he was on the pitch, all had very good games. And it was a team performance that really earned them this result. It's probably the best I've seen Ferenc play in terms of sort of the intensity. You know, you say ground out a draw. I actually, I, I felt they... they edged it in the second half I thought you know they kept themselves in it they could have easily got a winning goal they had the ball in the back of their net Barney oh mate how close was that 15 centimetres offside that was ruled off for yeah that was a tight one I, I, I really thought that was going to be good but yeah like, it's, it was the other players in this game as well I mean you mentioned Maddy I thought he was really good I thought he um, went up against uh, Gilberto really well Lika as well um, Pedro Henrique the striker it's, it's the best I've seen him play I mean we've talked about sort of Friends' lack of firepower up front and disappointing but uh, I thought he was really good in this game I thought he held that ball yeah, he battled well with Otamendi of Vertonghen he actually came from Benfica B in the summer interestingly but to go back to Ryan Gould I know I'm sorry we always talk about him, but uh, here's a few <laughs> stats for you man so in the league second most successful crosses second to Charisma in the league third most key passes in the league seventh most shots per game in the league he's the eighth top goal scorer in the league and he's got the third most assists in the league like he's the real deal man he really really is the bit that, the bit that got me I, I don't know if you remember it because it wasn't that significant but he did an outside-of-the-foot pass up the line, which uh, Otamendi got to with a brilliant starting tackle. But the reason I bring it up, the only players I see doing outside-of-the-foot passes in, in match play uh, that come to mind is uh, Modric, and sometimes you see Pogba doing it. It's not something you see, he's, he's brimming with confidence, man. He really is. And I, I, yeah, I just have 
phenomenal. Love the guy. No, honestly, we, we love him and for good reason. And those stats that you just said really back up the idea that, as you say, he is the real deal. This is not just, you know, a promising player from a lower team. This is a player who can compete with the best players in the best teams in this league. So, listen, Steve Clark, if you're listening, mate, get him on the plane. That's all I'm saying. A couple of more stats for you about Ferenc Barney. You can tell me what you think about these because they've only lost once in their last five games. They won one and drew three. Much better form than they've had all season. Their goal difference, this might surprise you. Their goal difference is minus seven. That's the best goal difference out of any team in the bottom six in the table. Yeah. Which surprised me because I wouldn't have expected that from them, especially as a team that we've, as we found out this week, haven't kept a clean sheet in 12 months. This was their first clean sheet in 12 months against Benfica. The last time they kept a clean sheet was against Villa Franquens in the second division in Portugal last year. So a really incredible achievement for them this game. I was so impressed with the way that way they played in this. Um, they, they really have turned the corner for me. And I, I, you know, it's looking good. If it's looking good for them staying up, it might be too early to say, but it's, it's looking good. Well, there were some good results for the other relegation battlers this week. So it's going to be a very tough relegation battle, whatever happens. Let's deal with Benfica, though, Barney, because it was another woeful performance. Players playing at 60%, strikers missing chances, midfielders not clicking, poor decision-making. We know how bad this are, but my question is, when is this going to end? What has to change? I'm serious. What has to change for Benfica to turn this season around? Because at the moment, it looks like they try the same things every match and nothing improves. For me, I cannot see where the improvement is going to come from with things the way they are. The crazy thing as well is that Jorge Zuz after the game, he hasn't conceded the league yet. He's just said it's, it's more difficult for them to win. Like, Jesus there's no... Like, <laughs> where's, where's that guy's head, man? Like, this is the, so this is the, this is the worst points return from 20 games they've had since 2008 where they finished fourth behind Vitoria Sporting and Porto. So this this is quite promising for the sort of Braga but even potentially passes for our fans. I was going to look at I'm going to bring our old friend uh, XG again, Albert, which nice. I, I thought before when talking about Benfica. <laughs> Bizarrely, they've still got the highest expected goals in the league above Porto and above Sporting. They had 15 shots in this game. Only two of them were on target. Friends had three shots on target in comparison. The reason I bring it up actually is because it still suggests, despite like, you know, how it doesn't look like it's click on the pitch, it still suggests that they are getting into opportunities and like, you know, they, they are creating chances. And the only other thing I was going to say on this is when they let Goncalo Ramos go on loan to Maritimo, they absolutely should have got Rodrigo Pino in. in. You know, his contract's running out. They could maybe have to pay 500k, possibly a million. I don't know. But when you look at who else they can come on, when Severic and Darwin are starting, it's Walshmit. That's it. And he's the second striker at best. You know what I mean? For me, they had a dreadful transfer window. And these problems were evident before the window even opened. They didn't They didn't look at it. And that, for me, getting Rodrigo Pino in could have been a, a, a brilliant bit of business. Well, you hit me with a quote from George Jesus Barney. I'm going to hit you with another one. After the game, he said, Something along the lines of, we just need a striker who can score from inside the box. I'm just thinking, mate, you've got Carlos Vinicius, last season's top scorer, currently sitting on the bench every week for Spurs. You talk about a bad window. The transfer business that Benfica have done this whole season has been shocking. I mean, we've talked about that a number of times. It's been it's been diabolical. I said earlier on, Barney, that we don't want to make a habit of sacking managers on the podcast. What do you think will have to change for George Jesus to lose his job? I am honestly surprised he's still got the job. I don't know if they're waiting perhaps to see if he gets through in the Europa League. 
you know, if they won the Europa League and finished third or whatever, you could argue that that's a decent season still. But he's not going to win the Europa League. Like, <laughs> he's <just> not. <laughs> um, Absolutely. It's really not good. You mentioned about they've, they've wasted money. But arguably, those players have brought in a, a, a decent players, you know, and they just, the younger ones in particular, just haven't been given the chance. I mean, look, let's make no mistake. Everton was a good signing on paper. Great signing. He's a good football player and he's proved that. We talk about Darwin Nunes being in bad form. I just want to put on record, I think Darwin Nunes is a great striker. I mean, he showed that at the beginning of the season. He showed the signs of what he can be as a striker. I think someone needs to manage him, build him up, build his confidence. He's a young player. He needs guidance, you know. You can imagine if they had signed someone like Cavani as well. Someone like that to lead him. Think of the player that Darwin Nunes could be under those type of conditions. I don't want to come across like I'm slagging off the players here. I think they've got a lot of good players. I think at the moment, in a similar way to how the Victoria players are struggling under the leadership there, I think these Benfica players are struggling under their leadership. I don't think I don't think they believe in what they're being asked to do. I think that's the big problem. And why would they? Because it's not it's not yielding results. So there's a lot of negativity around Benfica at the moment. There's been a lot of poor results recently. So something needs to change. We don't know what that will be. It looks like the manager's in it for the long haul. I suppose we'll see how they do against Arsenal and maybe things will change after that. But for now, worrying times at Benfica. Well, look, let's get back onto more positive territory, Barney. Are there any other results from the league that stand out to you this week? Definitely Braga's game when they handily dispatched Tondea. Was it 3-0 at half-time? Uh, and then got the fourth foot. Yeah. Lucas Piazon, absolutely on fire. Uh, two goals in this one. His second and the, the fourth goal was absolutely beautiful. I don't, I don't know if he's starting, he's coining the phrase uh, Carlos Ball or something like that, you know. <laughs> they, I don't they conceded um, too late on, you know, the game was done by then. They did what they need. I think they got all the big boys off as soon as they went 4-0 up. The only one that was interesting was um, Guilana didn't look too happy to be taken off, you know, because obviously there was, he thought there was goals in this game. They would have been looking um, to Thursday, obviously, but I don't know about you, I feel like he definitely lit it up at the beginning of the season. But I wonder if, you know, he hasn't he hasn't impressed me recently. And I wonder if it would have been the smart thing just to let him see out this game yesterday, get, maybe get a goal himself, build his confidence. I don't know if that would have been the smart thing to do. Yeah, no, I could definitely get on board with that idea. I think he's um, he's, he's not in great form at the moment, which is a shame because he's a fantastic player. He'll, he'll come back. He'll be totally fine. But I was thinking as the game was going on, if you're being harsh, he wasted a good chance um, when he, he was kind of fed through and he thought if he made the decision quicker to cut in, he would have had a shot on goal, but he, he kind of ran it down the line and wasted a chance. So I think, yeah, he's not in that scintillating form that that he has been in in the past. But yeah, for me, I was just loving the performance of uh, Lucas Piazon. I think we're big Lucas fans on this podcast, aren't we? I mean, real credit to him because I did beginning of the season, I didn't see much of him at Riyadh in the games I saw of him. But he's been used differently by Carlos Carrera. You know, he's not being asked to be this out-and-out winger or like, you know, a wide player in a front three. He's in better positions, you know, he's... he's because he's not the fastest guy. He's not, he's, he's not got amazing pace, but he's certainly got good technique. And I think, yeah, when he pops up in the box or on the edge, you know, that's where, we, that's where we're going to see the best of him. So I think I think it's a perfect match, man. I'm, I'm really excited to see if it, um, him improve. Yeah, certainly him very nicely. And we're really pleased to see him doing well. Another couple of good results, Barney. There were some good wins for teams in the relegation battle. Family Cal got a 1-0 win over a 10-man Rio Ave. That's their first win in a very long time as far as I can remember. Uh, the young defensive mid from Uruguay, your your boy Ugarte got a goal. So, yeah, good result for them. Boa Vista, of course, beat Mororens 1-0. Lovely free kick from oh, Angel Gomez. He is having a beautiful. fantastic season. Jesuardo Ferreira was saying after that game, look, we can't be asking this young kid to carry us week in, week out, but that's what he's doing at the moment. And actually, Gil Vicente beat Santa Clara 1-0. Santa Clara, who we were talking about a few weeks ago, is having a very good season now. She always sends they get in the better of them in a 1-0 win. So 
So good wins at the bottom end of the table, some interesting results at the top end of the table. I think it's fair to say it was a good week in the league for us this week. Right, well, welcome to a slightly new third section on long ball football. We've toyed around with different formats for this podcast with different things as our third section. We did a few weeks with a team in focus section, focusing on lesser known teams. We've done some game recommendations, fantasy football, stuff like that. For now, we're just going to leave this third section open as a kind of any other business section where we're going to have a little chat about something a little more in depth than maybe we're able to during a normal game discussion. My turn to choose this week. Uh, and inspired by a very rare interview in English with a Delta route. Not so much of an interview, more as a kind of very short one minute scripted video clip put out by UEFA, but we don't usually hear from Adele. So it was really nice to see. I'll read out what he had to say. People think they know a Delta route. They're about to learn who I am. I've always been good on the ball, but the Europa League is about to see another side of me. I knew I had more to give. Benfica and the Europa League are the perfect opportunity to prove that. Before, I was more about scoring goals and assists. I didn't like tackling much, but now when you help your teammates, they really appreciate it. So quite strong words from Adele. It was in the build up to the Arsenal game. And before we crack on with this, Bonnie, I think it's probably just a good idea to give people an idea why to us as English football fans, Adele is such an interesting figure. I mean, do you remember when you first heard about Adele and and, and what kind of player he was when when we were first watching him in the Prem? Well, for me, it was it's actually, he first caught my, came to my full attention when he was with QPR and the championship. And I know that stint at Spurs and the, you know, there was some glimpses there of what he was capable of, but I remember there was a compilation video going around of his, his goals for QPR. And it was just like, who the hell is this? Like, it was just <laughs> the stuff he was doing was, it was silly. It was silly. I mean, those videos from the early days of his, of QPR days, he is murking players for fun. <laughs> uh, and do you know what? Murking's the right word because that, that was around, around that time as well, wasn't exactly it? Exactly that. And he was just, it, it was, <laughs> And that's the only way to describe what he was doing because, you know, he was shooting from distance, driven past dozens of players. It was just unbelievable. And particularly in the championship, like you never see that sort of player. It's so rare. Uh, just just to interject, I think he's arguably the best player the championship has ever seen. For sure. Definitely. A hundred percent. The heartbreaking thing for me was that a player of his ability, because it was an unquestionable ability like you need to build a team around him don't you like you need to give him that freedom and in the championship they couldn't afford you know was it Harry Redknapp the manager at the time you know he couldn't afford to you know let him do what he wants it almost feels like there's this I, I love the player now don't get me wrong but it's still part of me that thinks if someone had got him and say right I'm going to build my team around you and what could have happened because oh <laughs> what a player unbelievable player I mean, when you look at it, when you look at his career, Barney, it, it is so interesting. He had his best foot spell at Queen's Park Rangers, obviously. He made over 150 appearances for, for Queen's Park Rangers. I think he scored 30 goals or more, you know. Great player. And then something happened when they went into the Premiership, right? And there was always this kind of idea about whether he was good enough to play in the Prem or whether his work rate was good enough to play in the Prem. He went on loan. I mean, the idea that he went on loan to Milan from QPR is hilarious in, in and of itself. It definitely is, as you were saying, that kind of idea of unfulfilled potential. I think that brings us on quite nicely to when he joined Benfica because he'd been on loan to AC Milan in 2014, uh, gone back to QPR. There's not really any prospect of him playing for QPR anymore. He leaves as a free agent and signs for Benfica in 2015. 
And this is where his career really dropped off a cliff. He joined in 2015 and didn't make his Benfica debut until September 2019, four years later. I mean, it's incredible. He had a year spell on loan at Genoa from Benfica. He spent most of his time playing with the Benfica B team. It's an incredible story. And the manager that gave him his debut for Benfica was Bruno Large. Now, Bruno Large was obviously sacked last year. So he became Benfica manager after managing the Benfica reserve team, which is where he'd managed Adele Tarrat. He then became senior manager, brought Adele into the team, and they had incredible success at the beginning of the 2019-20 season before coronavirus hit, where Benfica were absolutely murdering teams week in, week out. They were ahead at the top of the table. I'm not sure how many points it was. And then, of course, famously, after the coronavirus break, when football came back, their form dropped off a cliff. They managed to lose their lead. Porter took over the rest of his history. Bruno Large lost his job. But let's just talk about that brief period of just over half a season for Adele and Bruno Large in that team where he was playing so well. I saw him play live. I've told this story before. I'll tell it again. I know I've told it before. I, I watched them play against uh, yeah, RB Leipzig in the Champions League. I'd been, to the, I'd been to the ticket office earlier that day to get a T-shirt and a couple of tickets. Uh, they had a deal on if you bought a T-shirt, you got two free Champions League tickets. So I was looking at the players on the back. I wanted to get it printed. I had no idea that Adele even played for them. I bought the T-shirt on the day with Adele's name on the back, went to the stadium, and the guy was playing like Perlo, man. He was playing so well. He was a deep-lying playmaker. It was unbelievable. And he was winning tackles. He was working hard for the team. This was what was so incredible about his performance. And that's why I give so much credit to Bruno Lage because he transformed his game. He turned him, he obviously saw the attributes he had and he turned him into this deep-lying playmaker where he didn't have to rely on any pace, which he doesn't really have, to be honest. And he just gave him such a simple job. He just said, your job, win the ball back and move it on. And that's all he did. And he was and he was brilliant at it. He won tackles and then he found a great pass. And that's what he did all game. And I think in that season, Benfica fans were really impressed with him. A lot of Benfica fans don't like him now. He's quite a divisive figure. And I think that's because he hasn't got that simple role. And just to go back to what you said about building a team around him, I think that was some of Adele's best football in that season under Bruno Lage when they almost did build a team around him. Now, it wasn't in that role that we would have expected of being that playmaker, that skillful attacker. But they gave him that simple job. They said, you are our engine room. You are what's going to make this team tick. And he did it fantastically. So he's not quite doing that this year. Obviously, he's not been relied on uh, in the same that he was under Bruno Lage. So I don't think his game is quite quite as good as it was. Obviously, I mean, we could talk about his performances this season. They've been a bit hit and miss. I mean, sometimes I watch him. I think credit to him because the work rate never drops. That's one thing I will say about Adele. I think he works really hard, but... Yeah, this season, some of the decision-making, some of the passing hasn't been quite quite what we got used to last season. I think what's more remarkable about that, what Bruno Lage did with him is that if you look at that squad that season, last season, you know, they've just signed Weigl. You've got Samaras in there. You've got uh, Frezier. Um, you've also got Florentino and Gerson Fernandez who are starting to make a name for themselves. You know, that's a lot of competition for those spots. And for him to get in there, I think it was just remarkable. Like you mentioned, the fact that this season with Jorge Jesus, it's not too what this player he's become so I was trying to wonder like, like you know if, can you imagine a different team where like we get to see the, this this player again I mean the thing I love about him like like you said he's got to win the ball and move it on but the thing I love about him you know because he's got this flair this creativity inside of him that we, we know his vision and his ideas for behind a pass but brilliant you know he'll go for something that more risky but he'll, he'll go for it he'll, he'll try and pull it off and, and more often than not he's, he's got that technical ability to do that you mentioned um Perlo is, you know, a similar player. I was trying to think of a someone who plays in a central of midfield, but with that 
technical ability. And the, the only player, I'm, I'm not saying he's as good as this player, but the only player I could think of in similar style was, was his dad. You know, wow, I love that. So, <laughs> do you know what love I mean? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, some, cause some of the turns that Tarab does, some of the, the touches he takes in, in that compact midfield where you've got a players like Koji now instantly. And that sometimes he just does that little tw- that little twist and he's, he's out and he's away. And it's just, yeah, it's it's brilliant, man. I'm just imagining the faces of some of the Benfica fans <laughs> listening to you compare Tarab to Zidane. <laughs> 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 now, let's put on record. It's all relative. It's all relative. We're not saying he's, he's as good. We're just trying to come up with comparisons. But yeah, look, the reason we want to talk about him is because the one thing you have to say is his transformation has, has been incredible. It's such a fascinating story to watch, you know, the way he's transformed himself. And, you know, he's obviously had help from managers, Bruno Lage, of course, but the way he's transformed himself, he's shown great dedication to make it work at Benfica. I mean, I'm not sure what was going through his head when he'd been at that club for nearly four years and not made his debut. To turn it around, it's, it's a real credit to him. And he's got a contract now, Barney, until 2023. His contract will end when he's 33 years old, so it'll be interesting to see where his game goes in the future. But yeah, we're, we're just so happy to be following a league that has a Delta wrapped inside it. It's it's really hard to imagine what his mindset was when he got to Benfica, was not given an opportunity in the reserves. And for me, it's hard to think of a better example of any footballer reinventing himself. I cannot think of a single one because you've you've got the the vast difference in playing styles from, you know, Tarab at QPR and Tarab now. You've got the length of time, not out of the game, but, you know, not playing first team football and that conscious decision as well to make that change. I, yeah, like I said, I cannot think of a better example of a player reinventing themselves successfully as, as Tarab's done. I couldn't agree more, Barney. And he's been getting a few, he's been getting a good run of games recently. So uh, if anybody wants to look out for a Delta Raps in the Premier League, just check out any of the Benfica games. Well, it's about all we've got time for next week. We'll be back to discuss how the Portuguese teams fare in Europe this week with the second legs of those European ties to be played. We'll also, of course, be discussing all the Premier League action. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening, mean a lot to us if you can leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not a subscriber, feel free to subscribe and you'll get all our podcasts delivered directly to you every Wednesday when they're released. But for now, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening uh, and we'll see you next week. See you next week.